0: There was a sunday morning i was sitting at home and matt hancock was the uh, health minister in the uk and he was on the major political program on sunday morning which the whole country's tuned into and he was asked a question about what's going to happen when you run out of hospital beds because we can see the data is looking pretty bad and he said well uh, we're considering commandeering hotels and i was sitting watching it going hmm, that, that's interesting and and my my pr guy absolute genius He messaged me and he's like, hey, listen, i got an idea. I think we should offer the brand.
1: Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs, boutique hotels, and hospitality brands, and the hosts, operators, and entrepreneurs who have brought them to life. Every Tuesday and Friday, you'll meet the military veterans, the retired flight attendants, tech entrepreneurs, the school teachers, the single moms, and the real estate investors who are all, in their own unique ways, shaping the future of travel and hospitality. Discover how these visionaries from all over the world have built chic cabins in the mountains, designed bohemian bungalows on the beach, erected eclectic off-grid and nature-immersed escapes, and so much more. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, the internet's best destination for last-minute Airbnb deals. You can subscribe for free at sponsaneous.com. And I'm your host, Zach Cruz, co-founder and CEO of Spontaneous. All right, friends, enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, I'm pumped to quickly tell you a little bit about Stafi, our sponsor for today's episode. Stafi makes it easy to collect data from and market to every single person staying in your short-term rental. StayFi lets you create a custom-branded Wi-Fi splash page, similar to what you might experience when logging onto the Wi-Fi network at your favorite coffee shop. This means that you can collect the name, email address, and phone number from every guest staying with you, not just the one who booked. Because, let's be honest, who doesn't need to use the Wi-Fi? Learn more about StayFi in about 15 minutes from now or pause the episode right now and head on over to stayfi.com and be sure to use the discount code BTS, as in Behind the Stays, at checkout for 50% off your first three months. If you talk to a StayFi team member, just reference Behind the Stays and they will honor this discount. Oh, and if you haven't already listened to it, check out episode 47 of Behind the Stays where I interview Arthur Kolker, who is the founder and CEO of StayFi. He's an incredibly smart dude. There's a lot to learn from him. All right, guys, on to the episode. In just a moment, you'll meet Rob Patterson, an incredible hospitality leader whose most recent post was as the CEO of Best Western in the United Kingdom. Rob grew up in a very remote town in the countryside of Australia. Growing up, Rob dreamed of becoming a professional footballer, so much so that when an opportunity to move to Sydney to pursue his dream of becoming a footballer came to fruition, he left home without thinking twice. And while he never wound up playing football professionally, Rob did stumble into another profession while living in the big city. And that profession was, well, you guessed it folks, working in hospitality. In this episode, you'll discover what Rob learned during his first hospitality job working in housekeeping at a Hilton, how dynamic pricing and the internet totally revolutionized the hospitality industry, how Rob led Best Western through the pandemic and gained brand equity at a time when so many other hotel companies were struggling, why he believes branding in the industry has lost its way and been driven more by investor needs than consumer needs, and the opportunity that he sees for independent brands to stand out with more clear, distinctive identities in light of this reality. Rob and I talk about so much more. This is a totally riveting, exciting, inspirational conversation. You all are going to love it. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet Rob. All right, Rob. We are we are live. Thank you so much, sir, for taking time to chat with me today.
0: Hey, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And, and please don't call me sir. That's my dad's name. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I always. I, I just. I. It, it's sort of like a default. Like I, I. I was thinking about this the other day. For some reason, I, I. I call my best friend sir. I don't. I don't know why. I don't know why that's like become a thing. But. <laughs> I do do that. So yeah. Consider I, I, cons- I clearly consider you a friend, Rob, even though this is like the second time that we've spoken. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It
0: just makes me feel old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, I am very excited for this conversation. And there's a, there's a lot I want to dive into and, and pick your brain on and, and hear sort of your, your musings on. And as I was preparing for this chat, I was just stalking your LinkedIn profile and, you know, Googling you like any good podcast host should. And, you know, realize that you've, you've really spent the, at least the bulk of your career, if not your entire career working in, in hospitality. And I, I wanted to get a sense from you and really just hear, hear the story behind where you first fell in love with hospitality, like of all the industries you, you, you could have worked in. What, what was it about this space that was so attractive to you?
0: Yeah, it's probably a little unremarkable because it wasn't hospitality that I fell in love with. It wasn't my first love. I moved to, I was living in Australia when I finished high school. I grew up in a really tiny little outback country town. There was like uh, seven people in my final year. And, you know, there's more, animals that could kill you than there were girls in my class. So it was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a different kind of upbringing, but I was good at sport and, and that's what took me to Sydney, one of the major cities in, in Australia. And uh, so I went down there to play Australian football and that was oh, wow. all I wanted to do. I loved it. But it was the first year that they introduced this thing where they said, well, you can't just, there were a lot of kids coming along playing football and then it didn't work out and they had nothing to fall back on so the league got a little bit more professional at this time and they said look to come into the program you've got to have a backup plan and you've got to study and you've got to pass so okay uh, i kind of looked through this list I was like oh man I don't really think about this you know I went through the list it's like what can I do that takes the least amount of time that I can definitely pass that looks pretty easy and I'm like oh, hospitality <laughs> here we go <laughs> this is perfect right so so that's it I, I chose hospitality I did it on a whim and and I got into it and, you know, the I tried for a couple of years to make a go of the sport thing and it didn't work out for me and for whatever reason and I fell back into hospitality and that was really, I guess, it, you know, the questions about when I fell in love with it. I was like, man, this is pretty cool, you know. I come from this tiny little outback town where, you know, yeah. there was two girls and five boys in my class. That was it, you know. And uh, and we had, you know, we had teachers that were 100 miles away for science and math was another school and so everything was done remotely. and. So wow. to go to a city and all of a sudden meet people from different countries and different backgrounds and have tons of people on the road, and it was daunting at first, but then I just grew to love it. And I was like, wow, this hospitality industry is pretty cool. And I think because I've kind of got a taste of Sydney coming out of the country, maybe there's more to see in the world and hospitality, huh. hospitality can help me do that. So that's, that was really the appeal when the first love didn't work out. It was my second love.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, so that, that's remarkable. So you you literally grew up in a place where it doesn't sound like there were many four or five star you know <laughs> hotels, uh, and 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 then and you you go to Sydney to pursue a dream, and then along the way you, you sort of stumble into this this other dream that you couldn't have even you know didn't even realize at the time. Anyways, was uh was something that you could be good at. So how how do you go from you know, what, what was the first job I guess you took? And then at, at what point did you realize, well, I think I have like the chops to 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 really to really do this, right? And and, and you, you climbed the ladder and we'll get into the, that in, in, in a second here, but was there a moment where you realized, okay, this isn't just a job for me. This is something I I, I really want to invest time, energy, love into so that I can you know become a, a, a significant leader in this space. Did you did you have that realization at some point? And if so, when when was that realization?
0: I think it was probably at college and meeting some of the the tutors. And the ones that really resonated with me or made an impact on my life were the ones that they weren't just college um, professors or speakers. They were people who came from the field who had worked in mm. hospitality and. And it was so exciting, you know, and especially food and beverage, that was the side that really got me excited. And my first year was at the Hilton in, uh, in housekeeping, a whole year in housekeeping. So it wasn't glamorous at all, but, you know, <laughs> coming from the country and I was playing sport at the same time, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I had to deliver things like irons and I was the houseman, so I had to up update like uh the linen tro- the uh, linen trolleys for the mates had to empty their bin I wow. had to run errands for the for the guests and I remember knocking on a door and it was like um I kind of remember who it was she was super famous she had two people standing there fanning her and I was just <laughs> awestruck by meeting all these famous people and I was like wow this is even though I'm doing housekeeping, this is pretty cool. Um, and I was at college seeing all the food and beverage and I loved the the cocktail bartending and all this kind of stuff. Tom Cruise movie cocktail yeah. was like a, yeah. a, <laughs> an anthem for our life growing up. So, um, so yeah, that was that was the appeal. And then once you get in, you're just like, wow. I looked at the general manager, I was like, man, maybe one day I could do that. You know, I never did it. I never did GM. But yeah. but uh, I was always like, all right, how can I get to the next job? How can I get to the next one and the one after that? Because, yeah, it became, you know, for a little kid, from a country who hadn't seen much of the world it was pretty fascinating
1: yeah yeah so i want to hear so you you uh, ultimately i want to talk about what you're what you're doing right now but you did end up becoming ceo of of best western so talk to us a little bit about those those stepping stones right so how do you go from you know housekeeping to to becoming the ceo of a, of a you know internationally recognized well-known brand of of hotels what, what are like one or two sort of milestones along the way that that really stand out, that that positioned you and, and quite, quite frankly, you know, equipped you to be able to take on this huge role?
0: Yeah, I, I, the, the number one pivotal moment was was the onset of the internet. So I, I had worked in operations and I was very comfortable with what was at the time Fidelio, which was the major property management system at the time, which is okay. now Oracle or Opera um so, so okay, I, I okay. was comfortable with I had done some night audit by this stage so I'd worked you know because of playing sport night audit was perfect for me and so I worked a couple of years of night shift at hotels which taught me a lot because you're kind of the only only <laughs> person in the hotel you have to deal with everything so I had a good understanding <laughs> of how the technology worked and and I just moved into a department called the database department and our job was to load rates for the travel agents to be able to book the ho- our hotels. I was working for Accor at the time, and we had to okay. m- maintain the call centers database as well. So I had this blend of operations. I knew the technology, and all of a sudden, with the onset of the internet, revenue management was born in the hospitality industry. Hmm. And you know, I remember the first conversation, some pivotal people in, in in my career as well. Someone coming to me and saying, "We want to change rates on a daily basis. How should we do that?" And there wasn't many people who really knew both the operation and the practicalities of a hotel and the technology so I guess I was a bit lucky in that sense and that changed the course of my entire career. I took a, wow. a path of revenue management and a commercial path that revenue management grew into marketing and sales and and eventually um, you know commercial directors um, chief commercial officer and then CEO so that's how it kind of uh, it propelled it forward was was the internet. <laughs>
1: If you're even remotely plugged into the short-term rental community on social media, you've probably watched your fair share of Reels and read more than a handful of threads on why direct bookings are so important for building your hospitality brand. But direct bookings are really only powerful if you own your guest data, giving you the opportunity to communicate with them on your own terms. And the reality is that most STR hosts don't have a sufficient enough list of past guests or prospective guests to be able to justify the investment that building out a direct booking strategy can require. But the team at StayFi are trying to change all of that. StayFi enables you to create a custom branded Wi-Fi splash page for your short-term rentals Wi-Fi, similar to what you might experience when logging onto the Wi-Fi network at your favorite coffee shop. StayFi enables you to collect the contact info of every guest staying with you, not just the one who booked, because who doesn't need the Wi-Fi? So if you want a frictionless way to capture guest contact info and empower your direct booking strategy with more data, sign up for StayFi at stayfi.com and use the discount code BTS for 20% off your first year. If you chat with the team there, be sure to tell them that Zach from Behind the Stays sent you their way. All right, folks, give StayFi a look, but for now, we're headed back to the episode. I'm thinking back to that moment when somebody says, hey, we wanna be able to change rates daily. Did, did people think folks were crazy? Like, what was it? I mean, you, it must've been, it must've been like revolutionary, right. (laughs) To even be able to fathom, like how, how, how in the world could we even do this if it was possible? And I I mean, I have to, obviously the internet disrupted everything, but like in the context of, of hospitality, I, I haven't personally talked to too many people who, who sort of like lived through that, that pivotal moment was uh, was there like this immediate chasm that was born between folks who understood technology and the potential that it had and the ones that didn't? And and what did that chasm like look like or, or feel like?
0: Yeah, there was a chasm on many levels. There was, first you had uh, wholesalers dominated the industry, a bit like Booking.com and Expedia do now. It was the offline yeah. wholesalers. And you got to think about how they got their rates you know, we would package up a rate, we'd set it annually, and my team, our yeah. team, would sit down for three months and take three months to load that for all the hotels. And then we would go out to a, an offshore wholesaler, and well, I was in Australia, so we'd go over to, you know, the Europe or UK or US to a wholesaler. They would then sell it to a retailer on the high street. So that fixed rate had to go through three sets of hands, and then it was printed in a brochure and it sat in the ho- <laughs> you know, on a, on a shop window. So. All of a sudden, someone comes along and says, hey, we want to change the rates regularly. You're like, well, how the hell are we going to get that message down the line and <laughs> yeah. printed? And the reality was we, we were never going to do it that way. So it started with seasons and we then moved into like weekday, weekend, and then it was a gradual process. And as the internet grew uh, in its prominence or as a channel, it kind of naturally moved away from that printed brochure. The printed brochure still happens, but, you know, if you go into a wholesale, into a retail high street, office and you pick up the printed brochure you're 100 you're going to see it or 99 you're going to see a different price online so it kind of uh very lo- lost its relevance very quickly
1: yeah yeah i mean I, I would i would imagine right and um and i mean and now right with the way with how dynamic pricing works and the incredible tools that we have today i mean price is literally can change by the minute yeah, right yeah. probably by the second now yeah. right and, and it's just it's it's just remarkable to see how how far the industry with respect to, to revenue management has come in in a relatively short period of time right this yeah. wasn't over the course of 50 years like yeah. this is over the course of you know a, a decade-ish right yeah. and, and then some which is which is pretty pretty remarkable um in, in terms of how how hotels have like thought about like a guest experience right like Obviously, you've got you know uh, the Hiltons and the Marriotts, um, kind of uh, of the world coming in, competing, just trying to create a standard product that people love, trying to create a standardized product for for business travelers primarily. And obviously, their business models were were a little bit different and sort of evolved over time. But yeah. from your perspective, as as having grown up in the industry. Um, what what are what are a couple of the ways in which hotels have changed the way they think about guest experience and like you know obviously we 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 see and hear today that hey you know guests want ex, you know, experiences over things they they want different maybe you know more so today than than they did ten years ago standardization was a, much more appreciated by you know uh, boomers and and maybe even Gen X than it is millennials and Gen Z so I, I guess my question for you quite simply is how have you seen the conversation evolve with respect to expectations that guests set versus the expectations that you know the industry sets for the guests
0: yeah well i think if we have to go back a couple of steps here i think um it, branding has kind of lost its way in the industry and in, in, in a lot of respects and it's been it's the tail wagging the dog what drives branding mm. decisions today and you know, I've been at the coalface of this, so I know exactly why they add new brands. That A new brand is not added to fulfill a consumer need. It's added to fill an investor's need. So what yeah. happens is in, a let's say, a small town, Marriott has a, a Marriott hotel. The owner that's there sometimes can have a non-compete. They'll say within a two-mile radius, you can't open another Marriott. Um, but even if they don't, if you go and open another Marriott down the road, you're going to upset that owner. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So the brands like just have spawned this huge proliferation of, 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 of names that, I mean, if, if I asked you 10 of the one of the Marriott brands, I'm not sure you could say what it stands for, what the values are, what, What is it? I mean, some of them I've never heard of. I drive along and I'm like, oh, man, I've never heard of that one. It's new. Yeah. (laughs) And and they don't care, right? All they care about is being able to collect franchise fees and to collect loyalty fees from the owners for another box. So the consumer's never considered. And and Mm. I think that has massively diluted uh, people's trust in brands, right? So I think Mm. that's where a lot of people are like, well, you know, I I just I'm quite happy just to go and stay with an independent and have an experience as long as I can get some reassurance online that, you know, there's there's good feedback from other people who've gone and done that. Yeah. So so I think that whole branding piece has just uh, been lost because it's been tail wagging the dog and, and brands really don't care about the customer. What they really care about is their points and yeah, what I'll call it is bribery points at the end of the day because they know that, um, effectively they're bribing people to stay at their hotels. You know, it's a, it's a card in your pocket you collect points for. So they don't care about the name on the front of the building. It's just yeah. that as long as they've got enough buildings for people to stay in, that's all it is. So I think the whole um, brand experience has just been heavily diluted um, by the mm. brands themselves and it's been replaced with their loyalty programs and that's how they generate their income. And, and, and that's opened up a, a real opportunity for, you know, the independent market to to compete in my opinion. And yeah. of course you don't have, you know, if you're starting out on your own and you're opening a hotel or you're starting a, you know, a hybrid model, whatever it might be, or a glamping model is quite cool at the moment. And you yeah. don't have that loyalty program behind you. You can't just start one for one hotel. It's not big enough. It doesn't have the scale. Yeah. But what you can do is be really clear about your brand because that's what they don't do very well. And, and that's where I think the, the opportunity exists for you know, anyone wanting to start a new hotel is just be super clear about your niche and and, and everything screams uh, your perfect customer. You know, when you go on the website, you know exactly what this brand stands for. When you walk in the front door, you know exactly what this brand stands for. When you talk to the staff, you know exactly what this brand stands for. That I think is the greatest opportunity to come yeah. out of this, um, you know, huge major dilution of branding in the last decade.
1: Yeah. This is this is super interesting and like uh, the 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 insight that I wanted because on the one hand you you see sort of like Marriott launching these these you know brands like whether it's the Autograph Collection or like Muxi or whatever you know and, and the the intention at least the communication around it is always like oh like hey we're launching this for the you know millennial traveler that likes nice things but is also traveling on a budget or like oh you know we, we've launched this brand for like the for for couples or, or whatever it is right so it, it it seems from you know one perspective that there's like some some thought about like hey we're building this particular brand for this kind of a guest but but you're right like you know i've walked into multiple i've stayed in multiple autograph hotels i've had some that were in Credible and others yeah. that were horrible, like quite frankly, and so yeah. like in, in terms of the consistency of it being an autograph part of you know Marriott's autograph collection, it it, it, it doesn't hold true, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, at least at least from my perspective. So it is interesting in terms of like the the opportunity it presents for 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 the independent market to to think critically about, hey, what does it mean to truly obsess over a brand and and maybe not create too many sub brands too quickly yeah. where we lose kind of like that, that, that core identity, which I'm sure is sort of like a temptation for folks, yeah. uh, especially if you see another opportunity to go, you know, after a customer that you don't currently have.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, being clear about that, you're able to deliver much better, but I would say for somebody in that position, your number one priority is getting really good reviews and and that's yeah. your, that's your tool mm. to, to fight against, you know, cause you go to a, I don't know, you go to a, um AC Marriott now I mean they're franchised and you can stay in one yeah. where it's owned by a really motivated owner and it's fantastic you can go to another one as you say and it's owned by a completely different owner who has a skeleton staff and couldn't care less hasn't refurbished the place in the last seven years and you know it's really rough so you know that's um th- that's the opportunity in the market is to to just deliver something really amazing get great reviews and, and shine that way
1: yeah On that note, I'm glad you brought this up because I I wanted to ask you about reviews. So do you remember when like reviews first started really mattering? I'm I'm sure it coincided with, you know, the, the, uh, the birth of the internet. Right. And ultimately once people started booking travel online, what, what was that like internally? Like where did it, did it like totally change the game where, where people, did it highlight a bunch of bad actors? Like, like, was it as disruptive as, you know, someone might imagine that it was?
0: Yeah, I think it, well prior to that there was a lot of research around what were the main drivers for people to stay in a hotel, and the number one driver has always been and still always is till, still to this day is, is 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 location. You know, I'm not yeah. But you know, that is the first thing that people think of. Right, this is where I'm going. I need a hotel around here. So location hmm. is the number one driver of of consumers decision making, and in the past you know, TripAdvisor really only came to fruition in 2005. It's not that long ago, you know, like it's... Yeah. it's uh, and it was the first one to really explode. And then Booking.com introduced, Expedia introduced their review programs and, it, you know, Google and it, it yeah. took off. But it was TripAdvisor who really started it. And, uh, and they pushed those other things like uh, brand identifiers. That was high on the list, you know, like price was second and then it became brand. That was the third one, product. Because you wanted to know if you were going from, if I was traveling from Australia to, I don't know, Thailand, it's a foreign country. I don't really know people. I want to know that I'm staying somewhere that's safe and, and reliable. And that's where the brand was number three. Yeah. That went and reviews replaced that with number three. Mm. So, so it, it, hugely changed, you know, that's where the brand started to think, well, you know, maybe franchising isn't a bad idea because it coincided not long after that all the brands started to go asset light for other reasons not because of reviews but for many reasons they started to go asset light and started to franchise i remember when franchising first came along i was at a core and i I went and opened the very first franchise hotel and i was like man this is really different to all the other ones that we've got up and running and the owner kind of doesn't want to change the way they're doing it so Mm. we got conflict here the brand and you know as a as it turns out, you know, all these years later, tons and tons of brands have been open. It doesn't really make a difference. So loyalty programs that drives their their um their stays, not the brand anymore. So that's where yeah. reviews massively changed the game is they started this sort of um, you know, all of a sudden you could trust someone else's word as opposed to having to trust the brand on the front door.
1: This is this is super, super interesting. I'd I'd love your thoughts on over the course of of you know history, you you see these moments where even just thinking about it in the context of a business, right? To, to simplify this, where a business brings everything in house, right? They bring talent in house. They, you, you've got your design in house. You've got your development in house. You've got everything in house, right? And then that's popular for a while, yeah. and then people begin to outsource everything, yeah. right? It's like, oh, no, you know what? It's actually cheaper if we go and we, you know, we we hire this agency to do that and that company to do X and whatever. And there's this, there's sort of like this cyclical nature to to how businesses. And there, I'm sure there's some sort of like tie into, you know, the current economic environment. And, and there are a lot of like macro factors that, that, that weigh into this, but, but the, you know, that's seems to be pretty true across, across industries. Um, do you, do you think, right, there's this world emerging where people are, are thinking, Hey, maybe this, like, maybe the franchising model uh, has, has limits and, and maybe we actually do want to, you know, own Develop like brand, uh, 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 manage kind of uh our own collection. Like, do you, do you ever see? Do you, do you think that there'll be any sort of like pulling back or or a reversion, or is the reality that the industry is just in a totally different phase of its life? That like it's almost like too far gone with respect to anyone that wants to build something truly you know meaningful at at, at scale. Obviously, you could own and operate a few boutique hotels that you know that that are fully owned managed built by you but if the goal is to scale is it like too late to, to do that do you, or do you think there'll be some like pulling back like what what are what are your musings on that
0: i think the economics will really drive this and yeah you know the the economics of of taking a whole lot of cash and tying that up in a in assets that's kind of around its run its course and the learnings of, you know, some of the brands, all the brands really that started asset heavy and then went asset light was that they were really, especially if they're publicly listed, it was very unclear to the market um, what was good and what was bad. So they had to separate services from the assets. The assets continued to perform, you know, the the asset is the asset, right? It still gets its rent every month. It still gets, you know, but the services, did fluctuate. So I think yeah. the market kind of dictated there was a separation between the asset and the services. And then it only made more sense that if you wanted to develop your brand, get rid of that cash and use that cash to reinvest in, and develop your brand. So I, I'm not sure the economics are anywhere near close to allowing a transition back towards asset heavy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, there's hard to see a path towards that. But I do think that there is a path that, um, is really important around branding that the consumer will drive this, that, uh, that if you, there, there are just too many brands at the moment that mean absolutely nothing. And I, and I think <laughs> that's going to come back and bite people eventually. I don't know what's going to be the catalyst for it, but I honestly yeah. believe that that will change. And if you are starting a business now and you focus on your brand and you really hone in on what your niche is and be super clear about it, I think that's a great way to compete with the big brands right now. Uh, and, and eventually yeah. I think that's not eventually take a look at someone like Citizen M and mm. what they're doing is phenomenal, you know, and they, there are, um, of course, they've got investors behind them, but when I go to one Citizen M in New York and I go to one in Miami or I go to one in Paris or London, you walk inside, it screams Citizen M and, and yeah. you know like 100% you're in a Citizen M and they're fantastic places to be in. You know, sit and work for a day in a, a Citizen M, you know, it's it's invigorating, the coffee's fantastic, the yeah. people are amazing, the buildings are really funky. Uh, there's a lot to be said about that and I think those sort of brands um, in the long run will do really well. I think we're headed for a downturn in the next couple of years, you know, and, and yeah. brands like that I think will do a lot better in a downturn than, than the, you know, the soulless kind of put any badge on the front door and just pay people to come with the bribery points.
1: Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site, and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest, and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form, and they will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. A lot of the people listening to this podcast are are hospitality entrepreneurs. They're folks who've built like really cool, unique, you know, you mentioned this earlier, sort of like glamping uh, stays or folks who are, you know, they might have three or four really cool properties uh, that are, that are unique and they might be like glass boxes or, you know, uh, shipping container hotels or, 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 or what have you. Right. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's folks here that have like really, that listen to the show that have really big ambitions, right. Of like, Hey, like I want to really grow. I want to, you know, eventually sell to a, a hotel company, uh, or you know, uh, or or other investors, etc. I want to hear two things. One, I want to hear why you think there aren't more examples of like soft brands in the space. So obviously, you know, you're you're an advisor to to Story Collection. We've had Michael on the show. We've also had Justin on the show, um, and who are both just great guys. And so. Uh, but but what Storied is doing right is 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 somewhat novel in, in like the short term like vacation rental mm-hmm. space, and and what you were just saying earlier about you know folks in the hotel world going more and more asset light, we're not necessarily seeing that uh, yet in, in sort of short term rentals and, and vacation rentals. Why why do you think? I know that you don't know this industry as well, but like wh- you know why do you think that that might be the case? Is it is it really just that the 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 industry isn't as mature like do you see that happening and then based off of the work that you've been doing with with storied like what are your thoughts on how we'll continue to see soft brands emerge in this in this category of of stay
0: yeah i mean you're right i'm not close to the the str market um, but you do start to see now um, very organized companies entering that space and, and you're effectively, you know, quite often when you're staying in an Airbnb, it's not someone's spare bedroom that you're sleeping on an air mattress. It's, it's a company that sits behind that, that has tons and tons of these things. So it's already, as you know, well, it's already moving in that direction of becoming very corporate fueled. And I think some of the um, backlash that Airbnb has had in some cities is partly because of that, Um, you know, certainly with the hotel industry, they kind of feel like it's hard done by because they don't have regulations and things like this. I find that a bit crazy that that conversation. Yeah. But parking that one, <laughs> it is moving in that direction towards a much more um, corporate model, and mm. it only it only s- seems logical that at some point in time, you know, you can grow, you can grow by buying the assets so much, and then you're going to get to a point where you can't hold all that capital, tie up all that capital. You know, you you got to start releasing some of that capital to invest in new. So it's only a matter of time before I think that that would be a, a natural progression to start then offloading yeah. the assets, have someone else own the asset, deliver all the services. And the hotel industry, the way it did it was is say, you know, our core. I was with them at the time. We would sell the building, but we'd sell it with a 25 year lease to a core. So whoever bought it had a, a core had a 25 year lease on that building, or they had a 25 yeah. year. Um, uh, management agreement. So yeah. they don't lose it from the brand. So, um, and it's only natural that I think that that would make sense for the um, short term yeah. rental industry.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I wonder too, if it's, if it's in part just because, you know, a hotel in, in many ways is, is fairly consistent, right? Like it's a building with rooms in it that the size can vary. The location varies, obviously like the amenities vary. And then the category of like short term rental or vacation rental there isn't as much congruency yeah. um in, in terms of like it, when people say airbnb we could be talking about sort of an incredible luxurious 12 bedroom mansion in you know Joshua tree or whatever yeah. or we could be talking about a a spare bedroom in you know a- auntie ann's house or something like that right yeah. like so so in in terms of the the kind of like category two. It, it seems, at least at first pass, uh, a little bit more disjointed and yeah. and and harder harder to sort of like communalize, if you will. And so, it, you know, it, but but to your point, I, I'm with you. I think that there's huge opportunity for folks, and and maybe this is a business model for somebody who's listening to this pod too to to think critically about, like, hey, if the hotels eventually go asset light. (laughs) And and if, if that's sort of the model, once they build the brand in place, like why not just build the brand from the beginning? Right. And, and, and not worry about having to be so asset heavy and, you know, from the offset. So it'll be, it'll be really cool to see how, how this emerges. I, as we're talking about this, I wanted to hear from your perspective, how much hotels and hotel leadership, right? Like at the executive level, like talk about short-term rentals or vacation rentals? Like a, a, when Airbnb came onto the scene, was this like totally disruptive? Was there a lot of like worry or concern or like what what, what were the conversations like between you and in other executives in the space uh, behind closed doors?
0: Yeah, probably two answers to that. I think amongst the industry, um, so at industry events and things like that, there was always a a strong opposition to to Airbnb Mm. and, you know, people just found ways to, um, you know, to complain about Airbnb. (laughs) In my opinion, and no, it's not my opinion, in cold hard fact, if you pick up um, STR, Smith Travel Research, if you pick up a um, a Smith Travel Research report and you looked at uh, all the, certainly all the cities that I was in, London, let's say London, and you looked at it from a, a period of, Early two thousands through to now, there is no way, no way you could look at that 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 data and say this was the inception of Airbnb. It it, hmm. it did not register. It did not register, and everyone was making all this noise about it. And I remember thinking, I don't get it. Like I was in revenue management at the time, and I thought maybe I'm missing something because I always thought, oh, these people are much smarter than me. I must be missing something. And uh, yeah. but I looked at all the data, and that's that's my background is revenue management, and I just couldn't see any impact whatsoever our occupancies were if anything growing through those periods mm. uh, you know what impacted us was if a hotel opened with 400 bedrooms but if an airbnb yeah. opened up come on it's not our one it's not our market you know like we're serving a market that wants a bedroom and a, a shower it's a very convenience led market yeah it, it's not our market the customer that we're having wasn't the same as the airbnb and i, I understand that has become a little bit more um, hazed a little bit more, um, conjoined, but when all the noise was happening, when this all started, there was no evidence. And even to this day, I still believe that, Hey, listen, if you know your customer and you know who your audience is, just focus on that and go after that. And don't worry about what Fred's doing down the road or Airbnb are doing up there. You you know, I, I think that's the, um, I, I, you know, in psychological terms, it's your um, locus of control, you know, and, and you'll all. Hmm. Some people have an internal locus of control, and some people have an external locus control. You know, an external locus control, you blame everything around you for everything that happens in your life and happens in your business. <laughs> and oh, I got friends who who think they've got to sell their business because there's going to be a change of government. I'm like, come on, man! You, yeah, the same customers <laughs> are going to come and spend with you the day after, whether it's. <laughs> Like, I don't get it. So I think that (laughs) external locus of control was in overdrive on Airbnb. And we probably would have been better just focusing on our own brands, our own efforts and carrying on because it didn't really register in the data. But you're right. It was a huge topic at industry events.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it would be so fun to be like a, you know, a fly on the wall, especially early on, right? As like, it's starting to gain like traction. Um, But but that's how fun site. So you were, you were CEO of, of Best Western when, the pandemic hit yeah. and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a oh. question or, or two around what the hell was that like like yeah. you know talk to us about what what happened and and what were what were some uh, let, let me let me frame up the question this way what, what's something that you did from a leadership perspective that you think was spot on and then what's something you did you know in, in hindsight that you know maybe you could have or or, or would have done differently
0: yeah I I Hindsight's probably the key word there, but um, it, the number one greatest thing that happened out of um, out of COVID for, for us in that in that time was there was a Sunday morning I was sitting at home and and uh, Matt Hancock was the uh, health minister in the UK and he was on the major political program on Sunday morning, which the whole country's tuned into, and he was asked a question about what's going to happen when you run out of hospital beds because we can see the data is looking pretty bad. And yeah. he said, well, We're considering commandeering hotels, and I was sitting watching it, going, "Hmm, that's interesting." And (laughs) and my my PR guy, absolute genius, he messaged me and he's like, "Hey, listen, I got an idea. I think we should offer the brand." And like you got to remember, we're asset light; we don't own the assets; we're just a brand, and it's not even ours to offer. And I was like, "Man, there's a lot of things could go wrong with this, but there's a lot could go right." And you know what? And and at the end of the day, I, I I sat there and I was like what's the right thing to do here? The right thing to do here is to jump in and support the national health system. So I yeah. said, I said, do it. And within 30 minutes of him dropping that press release, we were on every single major uh, newspaper um, outlet. I was on TV for the rest of the entire pandemic. I was on TV probably every second day uh, talking about wow. it on all the major channels, wow. CNN, BBC, Sky. All. So it changed the course of our, our, um, our crisis. And, you know, there was a lot of nervousness at first from the board and from owners and whatever. It was absolutely it elevated the brand in a in a way that we could never have imagined. So you could say it was a good crisis. Um, yeah. For, wow. For, for Best yeah. Western in the UK. Wow!
1: Wow! Amazing.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, and we did it by the way. Oh. We turned. We turned. We were the first. We turned two hospitals within two weeks of that going out. We turned two hospitals in, uh, two hotels into hospitals. And that in itself was an incredible amount of work because you've got a hotel that's in a residential area. It's not zoned to be a medical facility. Yeah, We had to (laughs) change the planning. Normally that would take two years. We had to get um, new fire regulations. So the fire brigade had to come in and say, well, now you've got patients, you've got to change the layout and you've got to be able to store uh, medicines and safely, all this stuff that we had no idea what we're doing and we turned it around in two weeks. It was phenomenal. It was a great story. Wow!
1: Wow! That's that is an amazing story. Yeah. And I, I always wonder in in moments like that, like, are you as as a CEO being like, "Holy crap! Like, if we can if we can make this happen in two weeks, <laughs> why can't we make other things happen in two? Weeks? Like, like d- does it does it sort of like give you this refreshed sense of wow? Like when people are focused yeah. and we all do rally around something, we actually can get a lot of things done quicker than we think we might, you know, be able to. Or like, what was your reflection on? the fact that you guys were able to do that in two weeks.
0: Yeah. And that conversation was had a few times with, I got to know because of this project, I got to know some of the um, very senior ministers who were in power at that time. And, and they were even saying the same thing. They're like, look at what we can achieve when we work together, you know, like in, in, yeah. in, in partnership, it's incredible. So it was uh, sadly by the end of the, uh, the, the, pandemic it was all gone (laughs) and uh and everything went back to how it was and and it's all red tape and whatever so um it didn't continue but yes it was it was a huge opening eye-opening moment where you see the power of people coming together and what you can achieve in such a short time it was um it was really rewarding
1: yeah yeah uh i mean unbelievable and like I mean, thank you first and foremost. Thank you for for you know getting your your people to uh, orient in the right direction to make something like this happen. I'm I'm sure I'm sure people uh, around the around the world are thankful. But um, first, so so thanks for 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 doing that. But then but then also just I think it's it's a real cool testament to you know your your leadership and really anyone that had to lead during this crisis, especially in the context of travel and in hospitality. I just have like mad respect for it because the entire world is specifically your worlds we're, we're crashing we're, yeah. we're totally crashing and 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 the ability to sort of like rise and lead in spite of chaos um i can't imagine how many you know nights how many sleepless nights you had oh, but um yeah. but 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 congratulations for, yeah. for for making it through yeah no i appreciate
0: that yeah and you do you're right it gave the entire company a purpose. And, and that became our, our mission for the rest of the, um, you know, and and at that time, everyone was looking for what's, what's our purpose. What can we do? You know, like everyone felt helpless and that gave us something to do. So it was really rewarding for the entire company.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, so you ended up leaving Best Western in, in 2021 and, I want to hear about what you're up to now. So you're an advisor to, to Storied Collection, which again, is this really cool soft brand. Speaking of soft brands uh, in the space, uh, you can go and book castles and like manor houses around like the UK uh, uh, via via Storied. You guys have such a really, really cool collection. Um, and again, I'm, I'm big fans of, of, of Michael and Justin. But so you're, you're advisor to Storied. What what else are you doing though? You you now, you know, you've got all this experience. You literally have spent your life working in this industry where else is is rob's time going now that now that you know best western is in the rear female?
0: yeah well I, I i wrote a book that's when i i first came out of the role i was like I, I don't know what i want to do right so i took a few months i went out to mexico and wrote wrote a book that was a, a cool experience just to try to figure out what i want to do next and that sort of led to i do a lot of speaking now as well leadership speaking um so that's um kind of spawned as a result of it and i enjoy that i enjoy being on stage and uh, talk, yeah. talking to sales teams and even colleges. So that's, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so a story is really cool. That's a, that's a great brand that I'm pretty excited about the direction it's headed and, um, keeps me busy to some degree, but my, my next venture <laughs> is in January. I'm launching a, um, I truly believe that, uh, we're coming into some challenging times in the industry. And I think, um, you know, if you think about it, if you joined the industry within the last five or six years, if you graduated college in 2017, you probably never worked through a downturn yet because all yeah. th- before that it was pretty good. We were getting year on year growth. Then the COVID happened of course, and that wasn't a downturn. That was just a shutdown. And then yeah. after that, it's just been boom, boom, boom. And, and if if you've only been in the industry for five years, then, then you haven't really experienced what a real, you know, decline in. And I think, you know, the big, um, consulting firms are predicting now real-term negative growth for the hospitality industry. So that's a space that I'm interested in uh, in launching into. And In January, I've got a new business coming out, which is focusing on empty beds. So um, in the US Amazing. alone, there's like 800 million empty rooms every year. And as revenue managers, that's my background, we know when they're going to happen with pretty good cer- yeah. certainty. So if we know when they're going to happen and we know that we've got low variable costs, to turn those rooms and there's some really cool creative stuff we can do with that and that's the space that i'm getting into wow
1: amazing amazing i cannot wait to hear more about that and we'll probably we'll have to have you back on <laughs> once it's public and you're out and and, and open with it because um I, i'd love to hear more about that that business but um you 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 sort of are headed in this direction already rob but any other sort of like hot takes on on the future of, of travel and hospitality that that, that, you know, you're, you're, you're paying attention to or, or that you feel strongly about right now?
0: Yeah, I, I think that, um, well, of course there's the technology, um, uh, uh, leap that's kind of happening at the moment. And I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. So I, you know, if hotels are, are not already in that space of, of how can I use technology to make my operation better than, they're probably already behind the eight ball, but that'll get worse. So, but but I think that's a pretty obvious one. For me, I think uh, it's leadership styles that have got to change going forward. And we live in an an era where everything's at our fingertips so much more than it was five years ago. And the consumer thinks differently as well. So I think uh, leadership has got to change and evolve over the next 12 to 18 months. And, you know, my book is about decision-making and my view is that if you know in the past we used to describe a good leader as a measured leader and what does that mm. mean it means that they wait to collect all the information and then they make a measured decision based on all the information but that day's gone you know you've got to make mm. a decision with the information you've got at that moment in time and yeah okay in hindsight it might be the wrong decision but very few decisions are terminal and you can pivot so quickly we get data so quickly that we you can see very quickly if there's a problem with your decision and you can pivot. So I think leadership styles have to change in the next 12 months. And those that don't adapt quickly enough will probably get left behind. The ones that just act, make decisions with the best intentions with the information they have at that moment in time, and then pivot against those decisions will be the ones that will really, you know, uh, prosper over the next 12 to 18 months.
1: Dude, you are speaking uh, to my soul right now because you know as as an entrepreneur too it's like especially when you're launching a startup it's it's terrifying. You've all these decisions, yeah. right? And it, and it, you know, half the time you just you make decisions too quickly and the other half you feel like you sit on things for too long. And it, it's always hard to know like how much data do you need? How do you how do you actually make a good decision, right? And yeah. you can read a bunch of threads on Twitter, you can, you know, you, you know, listen to some, you know, management podcast, but at the end of the day I, I think you're right. There, there is there is true right uh, death by uh, by overanalysis um, and, and overthinking, and sometimes just waiting is is actually the thing that could hurt you and your company the most. Yeah. So um, appreciate that that little uh, uh, word of wisdom from you, man. I think that that's, uh that's something that I'm going to walk away with, and hopefully our, our listeners who are building their own kind of respective portfolios and, and, and companies uh, will will do the same. But uh, Rob, thank you so much for your time. I uh, am incredibly thankful that you uh, made the time to chat with us today. Really excited about the work that you're doing. Uh, for listeners who want to follow you and uh, learn a little bit more about what's what's coming next with the the new company that you're launching next year, if they want to go check out your book, uh, what's the best way for them to get more Rob in their life?
0: Yeah, man, I appreciate that. LinkedIn is the way to um, to connect. I'm on there the most. and. Um, uh, you know, I'm weirdly accessible. You know, I, 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 love having a chat with people in the, in the industry. So, um, f- you know, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. And the, I think, I think there's a link to my book on LinkedIn as well, something like that. So if not, Amazon has the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we'll go, we'll make it easy. If you're listening to this and you want to connect with Rob, I'll make sure his LinkedIn profile is in the show notes below, as well as a link to his book. So you can check that out as well. But Rob, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z A C H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at Z that's Z B O O Z E E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Boozy Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below. I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.